As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. Before we get started, we would like to invite you to leave a review for this podcast in iTunes. It's a brand new show and it's really important in the launch of a new podcast to gather reviews. Will you please help us spread the word by leaving a review so that more mamas have a chance of finding this podcast when they search for one? We read every single review and we promise to keep doing that. We love what everyone, all of you ladies have been saying about the Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy podcast here with My Essential Birth. So thank you everyone for your continued support. Hey there, mamas. We want to talk to you about cesarean birth. And we want to get real with you guys because there is a big problem going on here. And uh, we all need a little wake-up call. Yeah, interestingly enough, I was when I started writing this podcast, I really wanted to talk about VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean. But once I started going, I realized, no, we really need to educate first and talk to you guys about what's really happening before we can get into the aftermath of it. With Back the- that train up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to start at square one. Okay, but before we get started, Courtney and I were just talking before the podcast. I'm going to do it. We were talking about what our kids, what our kids say the darndest things, right? They so, parrot what you say. They parrot. I know yeah. you've heard this before, but you may not realize the gravity of the situation <laughs> until things like this happen. Tell us about your little mailman. So my little guy today, my kids, they're obsessed with Beyblades. I have three boys, so that's the story and of our life. it's okay lives. if you don't know what those are. Totally fine. They're really cool, though. I actually do like this toy a lot. Anyway, so they are always wanting the next best thing, and they save their money, and they like to buy them off eBay, and they come from China, and it takes forever, but they love it. So two of my boys ordered the exact same Beyblade the exact same day, and one of them came today, and my oldest boy was the one that ran out to get it, and my middle child, is the he, he came in, and my oldest was screaming that, oh, we got it, we got it, and he opens it, and they realize there's just one Beyblade in there, and because my oldest was the one to go to the mailbox, he got to keep it, and so my middle child comes to me a little bit later, and he says, mom, when... He, when William opened that case and it was just his and I knew that I didn't have one, I was so pissed. (laughs) Little head down to the floor. And of course, the mom and me snaps up and like, that's a bad word. And we don't say that. 
and I'm sorry that you're upset, but we don't say that. And inside, I am dying laughing. He used it in the right context. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, but on the same token, I'm like, okay, don't say that. I use that word all the time. All the time. I know. So bad. It's a bad habit. We had, and I told Stephanie, we had a similar incident today. The family just got Disney Plus, right? And the kids were sort of fighting over what to watch next. And our little six-year-old Eden comes running into our bedroom where my husband and I are. And she goes, Mom, Colin told me I'm a piece of crap. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Which is, I hope, not what you're doing, right? <laughs> no. Like, I just, I'm, I'm oh. sure they've heard me call, oh, this is such a piece of crap. <laughs> right? Like, I'm sure they've heard me say it. And, you know, we had to reassure her, you're not a piece of crap. You're yeah. incredible. And then he had to get in some trouble. <laughs> Anyway, just, you know, I, I hope we're talking, we're probably talking to mamas whose kids might not be old enough yet to Some of you, things. some of you they are, but if not, just, just be log warned. this one away. Just yeah. know that you'll have a story of your own someday. On to cesareans. When I started researching this, I realized we really need to go over the facts with you guys. Um, us in the birth world, we know a lot about this because it's a big topic of conversation. We talk about it all the time, but I realize that the majority of women are not aware. And so if just so that you guys are aware, the World Health Organization polls all these different countries. And as far as the developed countries, um, America ranks pretty dang low in their cesarean rate. And low maternal. Meaning- not great. Not great. Um, maternal health rates in general. So meaning we're not number one. No. We're not even close <laughs> to number one. We're kind of number. We should bury our hands. Yeah, it's it. it's down low. So, anyways, to give you an idea, our cesarean rate across the nation, nationwide, is about thirty-two point three percent. Or in other words, that's almost a third. One in every yeah, one out of every three of of a mother giving birth will give birth in a cesarean manner. That breaks my heart, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, it's pretty disconcerting. Um, and so look around, because if you know a pregnant mama or somebody who's had a baby, you know somebody that has had a cesarean birth. This would be like if you were standing in a room of pregnant <laughs> ladies and you say, look to your left, and look now to look your to your right. right. Yeah. One, One of, of you, you will become an alcoholic. Right? <laughs> What? You don't know. I was using it because that's normally right. Or one of you will. Okay. Anyways, you know, like the suicide rates or whenever they use those, like look to your right. It was a joke. Don't be an alcoholic. Okay. So let's get into some of the history behind cesareans, where they came from, why it developed, why it hasn't gone back down, which I think is more important. Um, And then we want to get into some of the reasons that a provider might recommend a cesarean, and we're going to discuss specifically the. Um, things that we think are actual reasons. The legitimacy. Legitim- yes. Th- we're going to leave it at that. That was beautiful. Thank you for that word. Welcome. On top of that, though, we're also going to talk about what you can expect. So being that one in three women will likely have a cesarean, um, we want to talk about what you can expect with what is involved and how you recover and the emotions involved. And most importantly, we want to talk to you about how to prevent it because the the women that have the lowest rates for cesarean are those who have prepared themselves, are crazy knowledgeable, and set themselves up for success in order to... You mean women who have taken the My Essential Birth Course? <laughs> okay, just as a side note, our percentages for cesareans are extremely low. They are. Yeah, there's a reason for that. We'll get into why. So now that I've set it all up, Courtney, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history? 
Sure. So cesareans came with the birth of hospitals. And um, some were done prior to hospitals, but most of them usually took place after hospitals came to be a thing. So because of a lack of proper nutrition in the 1900s, we were seeing children who were developing a disease called rickets, and that causes bone malformation. And of course, these children would grow up to become, you know, women become mothers. And so in the United States, we were seeing women who had um, actual cases of cephalopelvic disproportion, or CPD, which means that the baby is too big for the pelvis. Baby's not going to fit through there because of the malformation. And um, we'll come back to that one in a minute. Yeah. Um, CPD is CPD and FTP being failure to progress and cephalopelvic dis- disproportion. Those are the top two reasons that are put down on the medical forms for women that have um, that end up having a cesarean and we're going to de- debunk the majority of those. Yes. As yeah, of today, today those yeah. are the top two reasons yeah. for a cesarean and they, which is a cop out. It's a cop out. Call it mama. I did. Yeah. Okay. So, um, just back to the history. So by 1930, we have safe milk for everybody to drink. And since rickets is a lack of vitamin D, now we had people who had the right formed bones, which is why CPD in itself is such, I don't want to say a joke, but it's not necessarily a real thing unless we're talking about um, women in other countries who same thing, they have issues with malnutrition. So even though some of these issues are, are not around anymore, like rickets and things like that, the medical community takes a long time to let go of these yeah. older notions. Um, and we see that today all the time. Unless it's something that is creating um, like a, a massive immediate problem, it seems to be that, that whatever they begin practicing, it takes forever for them to change their mind to decide that that was a bad idea if it was. That's totally true because you know we've known and had evidence for the longest time that immediate skin-to-skin between mom and baby is what's best. But yet there's still places where they're going to clamp and cut the cord and weigh the baby and swaddle the baby before having that skin-to-skin contact with mom, despite what evidence has shown for decades now. So it really can take a long time for even evidence-based things to catch up in the medical community. So true. And here's something to think about. By 1938, half of all the births performed were performed in the hospital. So hospitals came They came in and became a thing, and women started going to these places. You have to understand during this time, though, even though about half of all women were coming to hospitals, there was a lot of propaganda and advertising going on, um, kind of demonizing midwives and that being kind of witchcraft and things like that, and it's so much safer for you to come to the hospital and have your baby, and um, that... Safer, cleaner, classier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a very marketing savvy ploy, if you will, to get women to come to to their birth space. Right. Because there's money in that. Make no mistake, and we're not against hospitals by any means. We talk about this all the time, but make no mistake that they are a consumer-based organization. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but that's that's such a neat thing too, because they hold so much power that if we as consumers speak up for what we want, well, they're gonna sell to what we want. Vote with your dollar. Absolutely. Yep. So um and we'll talk about why that is really neat in a minute because it, um, so it switched over to mothers going from midwives to delivering in hospital with OBs. And when this began, um, they used to separate the husbands from the wives. They weren't allowed in the back rooms with them. They would medicate the moms. They'd strap them down. They'd, um, there's something called twilight, twilight sleep for, yeah. yeah, that they would do. So the mom's medicated. She's out of it. She's making noise and thrashing. She's almost delirious. D- yeah, complete. Yeah. Yes, it was just, it's really sad to see Strapped the videos. Strapped down to a bed. Strapped down. Yeah, don't. <laughs> 
Unless you want some nightmares, don't, <laughs> don't go watch those Twilight things. Sweet, this is not Twilight how it is now. Yeah. But what I think is so neat and what kind of what we just talked about with it being consumer based is the way that this stopped being the case was from people coming in and saying, in fact, there was a whole um, movement that went on that the women started calling the hospitals and saying, I heard that you guys allow the husbands to come into the hospitals. I'd like to birth there if that's the case. And constantly they just call and call and call. And so the hospitals caught on and they said, oh, well, this is what the women want. So now we need to start practicing this way. We're mm-hmm. going to get more people here if the husbands can come in, right? Yeah. So anyways, that it's, it's neat. It's the same way today, albeit slow. There are things that we can do to change birth for the better for ourselves. Be a part of the movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's shoot you some quick facts here. In 1970, the cesarean rate was 5%. That's actually really good. Yeah. 1988, it jumped up to 24.7%. 18 year span and almost a 20% increase. By 1990, the cesarean rate had dropped a little bit to 23.5%, but this was because of the introduction of the concept of a VBAC um, that you can have a vaginal birth after having a cesarean. Um, Because before that, the mindset was once a cesarean, always a cesarean, which unfortunately has remained the same mindset for many doctors today. We're still fighting that mindset. Absolutely. And if you jump and fast forward to today, we are in one in three or that 32.3% that we talked about at the very beginning of the episode. So let's talk about why. We're going to give you some legitimate reasons why a cesarean birth may be necessary. And we just want to warn you right here that these things, they are serious and they're going to sound serious and we don't want to freak anybody out. Birth is still a very um, safe thing for, for the majority of birthing women. Um, these are just things to be aware of because we want to help you separate um, legitimate reasons from not so great reasons for having a cesarean birth. Yeah, and keep in mind that too, if this is something that you've experienced as well, you just take it for what it's worth. We're just, we want to make sure to cover everything, but we certainly don't want to upset anybody. Cost is certainly one of the factors. Um, A cesarean birth compared to a vaginal birth is much more expensive, not just in the doctor's time, but the anesthesia that's involved, the hospital stay. Length of stay, yeah. Yeah, all of that makes it a, a much bigger procedure, a much more expensive procedure. The other thing is we, you know, as time has gone on and um, doctors have had to deal with malpractice lawsuits, that's another reason that they're willing to call it a little earlier instead of allow it to go on. Of course, they don't want to be sued for malpractice. I've talked to my sister who's a physician assistant about this, and she said when it comes to a court of law, a cesarean birth is seen as like the doctor did the ultimate thing he could. That was the last resort. He did everything he could. And because of that, sometimes they'll sort of jump the gun a little bit and go straight to either way. They're just, it's a liability thing. And I do feel for the doctors on that one. Yeah, I totally understand that. Way too easily, way too quickly. Yeah. Um, But keep in mind that that, it's just one of the reasons that we can see an increase in that. Um, We went on to ICANN online, and this is, we'll put the the link in the show notes. What does ICANN stand for? ICANN is the International Cesarean Awareness Network. Thank you. And I got into that because I was going to talk to you ladies about VBAC. So we will come back to ICANN and all of their amazingness. But I'll still put the link in the show notes so you can take a look. But they give you some common reasons that a provider might recommend a cesarean. One of them is obstetrical emergencies like a prolapsed cord. This is totally legitimate. Um, There are a few things that can be done prior to just calling cesarean for a prolapsed cord, but if this is just the way it's going to be, a prolapsed cord means that the cord, the umbilical cord, is coming out of the vagina 
before the baby's head. So in other words, as that baby moves down, they're actually pushing against the cord and causing themselves to not have any oxygen. Um, it can kill a baby on the way out. So obviously this could be a very legitimate reason for a cesarean birth. Another legitimate reason would be if there is a placental abruption. This means that your placenta um, detaches from the wall of the uterus prior to birth. This would also um, eliminate oxygenated flood. Oxygen. Flood. <laughs> this would also eliminate oxygenated blood flowing to your baby. This is a true obstetrical emergency. Yeah. Placenta previa, and this is where the placenta partially or completely covers the cervix. Um, obviously, if there's a placenta in the way, the baby can't make it down. So yeah, that's legit. Another legit reason would be placenta accreta, and this is where the placenta is too deeply embedded in the uterine wall and it has potential for maternal hemorrhage. However, sometimes you can or cannot see this prior to birth mm -hmm. and it can or cannot be a problem. So that would just be if it's caught and then I believe a decision between provider and mother would be the way to go. So another reason why your doctor might recommend a cesarean birth is if you are having eclampsia or preeclampsia. During pregnancy, this is characterized by really high blood pressure, um, which causes severe swelling due to water retention. Um, it can impair kidneys and liver function, and it progresses from preeclampsia to eclampsia and then to toxemia, which can cause convulsions, and it's potentially fatal for both mom and baby. It says other common reasons that they hear for cesareans, which is totally true for us too, is fetal malpresentation, such as a transverse lie or a breach. Now, This remember, is where baby is like laying in your uterus like a hammock, yeah. your pelvis like a hammock. <laughs> Head on one side of your stomach, feet yeah. on the other, or bum on the other. Um, transverse lie, a baby can actually flip their presentation during birth. Most often than not, though, if you begin labor like that, they're going to tell you, you you don't get a chance to labor like this. Mm -hmm. um, they will likely try to move baby prior to the onset of labor, and that would be for that and a breach. Um, and keep in mind, too, that even though breach is typically a reason that is used for cesarean, it's not necessarily a reason for a cesarean. Right, because there's things you can do. So on this one, I kind of feel like, well, you know, transverse lie yeah, you might have a cesarean, but there are things you can do beforehand or if you have a breach beforehand to to change that potentially. Yeah, and we'll include that in the link as well, but one of the things that we tout just up and down is our three free exercises that we give you guys. And mm -hmm. the reason that we send it out free to everybody is because we believe so strongly in the power of those to make sure that your baby is in a good position for birth. Because yep. quite honestly, if you can get that baby in the right position before things get going, you're already ahead of the game. Absolutely. Another thing that we hear all the time, and this is what I was talking about earlier, is that suspected cephalopelvic disproportion or CPD. I made Stephanie say this one because <laughs> it's like a tongue twister for me. I, I might put it. the edits right here. No, no, check the end of the episode. It'll be fun. It's okay. <laughs> CPD is interesting, and I'll just jump on this real quick, but because so there's really, it's like such a joke. There's no way to really tell. So up until 1975, they would actually x-ray women while they were pregnant. Ugh. Yes. This was a real thing. They would x-ray women and their unborn babies to make sure that their pelvis would fit their baby. Guys, just in case you don't know, this is really bad. This oh my is goodness. exposing the unborn baby to radiation. It's no bueno. Well, it increased miscarriages, the risk of leukemia. Right. On top of the fact that there, it doesn't, they thought maybe they could tell, but you guys, if you look at a newborn baby's head, how it's formed, how they have those four separate palates that are purposely not fused before you go into labor, um, the way that a, a body shapes and they're molds and moves. They're squishing on purpose. Yes. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're made, you're born with a uterus. 
you create babies in your body to be able to produce more of them to get them out. Like your body is made to do this work. And so because of that, it's super hard to actually get a confirmed diagnosis of CPD. Now, nowadays, now that rickets is like not a thing, especially here in the United States, you do have women who maybe they've been in a car accident, there's been some kind of trauma to the pelvis. And so they might have a legitimate reason why their baby can't make it through that pelvis. But please understand that this is not something that's easily diagnosed. There's also things like maternal medical conditions. So active herpes lesions, severe hypertension, diabetes, et cetera. These are things we need to take into consideration. Yeah. And if you have a provider that you trust and you have a good relationship with, then that's a conversation that you have with that provider. And that's why we stress the importance of having a good provider. Mm-hmm. Fetal distress, um, although this is a little controversial. Um, Fetal distress means that your baby's having issues one way or another with their heart rate when you're having contractions. So what they do is they monitor your body during contractions and the baby's heart rate. And what should happen is when the baby's being compressed by a contraction, the heart rate slows, it should pick up right away after. And what I hear a lot or see a lot, or I know we've seen as doulas, is Mm -hmm. if you have what's called a late D-cells, which means that after a contraction, a baby's heart rate does not pop right back up. So the reason that we say this is a little controversial is because um, I know Courtney and I have both seen, and I know it's not just us, many doulas and people in the birth space have seen that oftentimes these can be resolved by a change in position, like that alone. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that that will resolve it every single time, but oftentimes literally just a change in position can absolutely resolve that. And we know studies show that the more fetal monitoring that you have during pregnancy, it increases your risks for other interventions, including cesarean birth. It's not fail safe. There's going to be false readings, false positives, false negatives about it. Like it's not foolproof. And so the longer that you're hooked up to a fetal monitor, the higher the likelihood that they might pick up on um, a reading that you know, maybe doesn't look normal, but it's just because you've increased your chance of getting a false reading. We talked a little bit about the whole x-ray thing. So we've moved a little smarter now from x-rays to ultrasounds. Um, Keep in mind though, nothing is perfect. And even the studies on ultrasounds studies show that there can be intrauterine growth restriction. It shows a lower birth weight, um, particularly for children who have had more than one ultrasound during pregnancy. And studies show that there have been more left-handedness on children who have had ultrasound while they were in their mom's belly. Here's the thing though, especially when we come to diagnosing big babies um, through ultrasound is they can be off by a lot. Um, There's a big, you know, plus or minus range on those. And so I'm always a little hesitant when somebody comes to me and says, my doctor, you know, I'm 36 weeks. My doctor thinks I should have a cesarean because my baby's measuring kind of big. And I go, well, you know, I'm I'm sitting here next to my sweet business partner who's, (laughs) what, five one? Five foot. Five foot. And you've birthed bigger babies than I have comfortably at home. Somewhat comfortably, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So I just, I think we often underestimate what our bodies are capable of doing. And I would be really hesitant to rely solely and so much on ultrasound. Yeah, and specifically if you're using ultrasound for a means of determining whether or not you should induce, because we know that if we're trying to avoid a cesarean, we try to avoid induction because induction does raise that risk for cesarean by Mm -hmm. quite a bit. All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you.